Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. I'm Matthew Denby, back from Hawaii, tanned and relaxed, and joining me are our TV experts, Claire Rigdon and Gavin Scott. Hello, guys. Hi. Hi. Good to have you back. It's great to be here. This week, we've got a special treat for you all. Break out the teen angst, because we're reliving those tumultuous high school years. Now, can you ever be too old to enjoy teen dramas? That's the question this week, as we celebrate some (laughs) classics that are available again, thanks to streaming. And we also delve into some really controversial current hits. We all know the teenage years weren't all fun and games for a lot of us, and that's certainly the case with the Netflix hit 13 Reasons Why, which delves into some very dark and unpleasant territory. Now it's back with season two. This highly controversial show deals with the aftermath of the suicide of student Hannah Baker, uh, with this series structured around her posthumous revelations about what drove her to take her own life. The show has been slammed for supposedly glamorising suicide, with some schools even reportedly advising parents not to let their children watch. This show elicits some really extreme responses from viewers, uh, both intense devotion from the fans and outrage from others. With 13 Reasons Why back again, what are your thoughts, Gavin? Well, I actually binged the entire season one last week. I I didn't watch it last year when it debuted, but it's been on my radar. I mean, how can it not be? Everyone's talking about it. So I watched all 13 episodes of season one last week and then and now I'm into season two. And season one is highly structured as Hannah makes the case via a series of 13 tapes of the series of events that led to her committing suicide. Each tape relates to an individual whose actions were part of a snowball effect that destroyed her self-esteem, self-confidence and self-worth. And the main takeaway for me is that teenage kids can be awful to each other. I mean, like, <laughs> we, we all know that. And it can be a troubling watch for any parent. And for the teens, that hopefully shows the serious impact of your actions and that they have repercussions. And that was the other takeaway for me, that there are consequences. And, and for that reason, I don't, I don't think it glamorises suicide. Hannah is dead. That's the consequence of what she did. And the show is dealing with the consequences for everyone else, her family, her friends, and her tormentors. And I felt that any time it ventured towards ghoulish territory it pulled itself back it didn't feel salacious because hannah is on hand to remind us why every event hit her hard and it's personal and some of the events in the tapes might feel you know like a small incident but when you add it all up you can see the debilitating effect it had on her as a piece of drama i thought the narrative was incredibly well laid out the pieces all fit into place And even though you know how things end, you're taken on this journey with Hannah. You really feel for her character and the effort she made to fix things before ultimately deciding that, you know, she couldn't fix them. And they do show the suicide in the season one finale. And I'm in two minds about whether that was necessary. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that. Mm. I I think I have a massive problem with this series. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Have, Matt, have you seen it? Yeah, I, I watched the first couple of episodes and then I dipped out. Um, I have a lot of really conflicting feelings about it. Uh, I'm going to say it's very well put together artistically, um, but it left me quite unsettled. I didn't love the way that uh, Hannah was so present in the narrative after her death. Uh, arguably, that sort of created the false impression that suicide is not the end. And, yeah, uh, or that you live on in infamy. Yeah, yeah, the, or that it could even be a valid way of seeking justice or being remembered or whatever. Um, teenage suicide is obviously not a subject to be played with lightly. Um, I think like probably almost everyone in this country, it's something that's um, touched me too. Um, it's a horrible tragedy and one that has blighted a lot of people's lives after the event, after these terrible tragedies. And yeah, I mean, it, I, I felt so conflicted about it that I sort of decided to dip out. What did you think, Claire? Yeah, look, I haven't even gone there. And uh, I can't quite bring myself to. I've, you know, like, like probably most people in this country, I've been affected by suicide, both when I was a teenager and the same age as the protagonist, and also as an adult, um, where someone very close to me died in pretty awful circumstances. And for me, I just feel like I don't want to let myself go there. I don't really need an exploration into the whys and the wherefores and I certainly don't like the idea of having to watch it all replayed out in the series finale. This kind of thing to me is not entertainment. It really is an important discussion and I feel like it needs to be had. But I don't think that it's giving teenagers enough credit to think that they're not already having this discussion. I mean, if you're in high school, chances are you've got friends that are really not doing too well with their mental health, but you might know someone who's attempted suicide. You might know someone that's had a, had some time in a, in a facility, uh, an eating disorder. All of this stuff is being talked about by teachers, by students. And I just am not sure whether this show is benefiting the conversation. But that said, that's from someone who hasn't watched it. So that, Yeah, that, that's the tricky thing. I mean... For, if if you if you haven't watched it, you, you don't know how it approaches it. But then the decision yeah, exactly. to watch it is such a big one, and and I wouldn't having having watched it, and and I will watch to the end of season two and beyond because I am getting something out of it. Um, I I wouldn't encourage people to watch it if they don't want to. I would be. Tell I feel like I might be triggering. Like I know that that's a really kind of bandied around word these days. You know, like you, people always talk about snowflakes, not wanting to, you know, being triggered by things and. And I don't like it. It's a bit trite to even say that, but I just don't want to let myself go there, Matt. Do you kind of? Yeah. You sound like you kind of might be on the same page yeah. as me. Yeah, yeah. I, I worry about uh, the impact of this show on kids. Um, I remember being a teenager quite well, and you do feel a lot of things with intensity, great intensity, but you don't necessarily have the skill set that you develop in later life to deal with those feelings. Um, and, you know, suicide is the end. It's, uh, and I'm not sure how many young kids fully understand that, the gravity yeah, of that. Yeah, totally. I, totally. I think when it comes to this show, I think, I think parents should be across if their kids are watching it, how old they are, and, and not just their age, their developmental, you know, maturity, whether they're mature enough to handle it. Because it's not yeah. like the teen dramas we grew up with, and, you know, we'll discuss them in, later in this episode. It is, yeah, I mean, it is something you have to make a conscious decision. Yes, I'm going to watch this and I'm prepared for it. And so I think parents should be involved in that decision. And, you know, I, I don't think kids 
under 15 should be watching it, possibly even a little bit older. It, it's kind but of... You know, I know they will, though, right, Ab? This is the of thing course. With, with, with streaming services. You know, like, you know, anyone can go in their bedrooms and watch stuff online these days. I guess maybe the onus is on the parents or... Yeah. And you've got to hope that kids have enough people around them that... But just just purely from a kind of show point of view, what, what can we expect from season two? So... Yeah, tell me about that, Gav, because well, see, everyone's see, going to be talking about that. Yeah, season two, and, and I have a problem with season two for kind of the exactly the same reasons Matt was talking about, about Hannah being present. I felt like in season one, Hannah's role was in the past. Yes, she was a big part of the show, but it was flashbacks. But in season two, they've made this kind of bizarre decision to have her appear as a ghost or a figment of Clay's imagination. Clay is, is um, he was in one of the tapes, but he was not responsible for her suicide. He was kind of the potential love interest who never came to, who never came to be. Um, so he's now feeling guilty and I guess projecting, which is where Hannah comes in. It, it's a figment of his conscience or imagination. And I don't love, I don't love it. I don't, I don't like what they're doing with that. Yeah, right. She's still in flashbacks. They're, they're having more flashbacks and extended flashbacks. And I feel like, you know, for the reasons Matt articulated, that she should stay in the past because she is dead. Her, her story is finished. With the tapes, the story is finished. And now the story is the consequences, the, the court case, things like that. So having been a part of that present, even if it is in a supernatural or imagination kind of way... I just think undercuts everything they did in season one. Everything they did in season one to make this a sensitive portrayal and and that kind of thing is undermined by the fact that there she is sitting in Clay's bedroom bantering with him. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that's really interesting. What what do you think that the what do you think people are going to think about that? Do you think that some of the original like do you think kids that watch the first season will will feel a bit like this is just some kind of cynical ploy to move the story on when maybe it should have just been a one-series thing in its entirety? Yeah, it probably could have been a one-series thing. I I do like the fact that there's the court case and and the people on the tapes are having to live with the repercussions of what they did and that they were called out for their actions. I do like that it is going to that territory. It's showing, you know, you can't just be horrible to people and expect that it's going to have no consequences. Yeah. So I like like that side of it because I think it does hammer home this is you know a serious subject um i just yeah i just really think hannah should have been left to the flashbacks and i know why they're doing it i know because otherwise clay would be having all these internal monologues and voiceover and things like that and obviously having her there gives it a, you know it works on tv to have her yeah. there rather than it all play out in his head but uh yeah it, it's it's problematic right yeah, yeah. right Yeah, heavy stuff. Now, if you or anyone you know has been struggling with depression or any of the issues raised by 13 Reasons Why, uh, please don't suffer in silence. Um, Contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. 13 Reasons Why isn't the only dark teen show out there. Riverdale has a very adult take on the characters of, from the classic Archie comics. I certainly don't remember there being so much death, sex and scandal at Riverdale High when I was reading the comics as a kid. <laughs> uh, but this show is a lot of fun, uh, certainly very accessible for adults, especially those of us who grew up with Archie and uh, we might enjoy seeing those character, characters transposed into a new era and some very grown-up situations. Claire, what do you think? Um, look, I was really excited when this 
came um, on TV. I actually weirdly found out about it. Well, kind of was sort of persuaded to watch it by Courtney Love of all people. Oh my god! I, <laughs> I follow her on Twitter, and she posted. She was posting about how hot she thought the guy that played Jughead was, and the young guy that played Archie, which is like kind of creepy in itself. Because what kind of like Courtney? like 55, 60 or something. <laughs> but I was like, well, if it's okay for Mrs. Cobain, I'm going to check it out. It was a little bit of fun. They had the mystery surrounding the death of the chick that looks like Lana Del Rey's brother. <laughs> I don't even know the name. But Jason then Blossom. Like, yes, that's what I was thinking of. But then, do you know what? I got a bit bored of it and I tapped out. And so it was quite interesting because I thought ahead of filming this podcast that I'd watched the season finale. And, like, I was quite confused about what was going on. But I, I don't remember it being as dark as it seemed to be in the first series. Like, yeah, what are your thoughts, boys? Like, it's it just so all got dark. a bit to me. And I kind of just, just, yeah, I just bowed out. Well, what I, what I liked about uh, the first season was that it was quite camp. It was fun. Yeah, it was. Totally. A, it was a big wink to adults who perhaps love this uh, love this whole franchise as kids. Able, it allows you to enjoy something you enjoyed as a child, but in a much more sophisticated adult way. Um, yeah, I, I do tend to agree with you that perhaps they could dial back on the darkness and have a bit more fun with it. Yeah, Yeah. it's very gritty. I mean, season two, there's gang violence, drugs, there's a serial killer running around, the mob, but there was even a riot in in one of the episodes towards the end of season two. Yeah, what was that? Yeah, I don't know. And I have read stuff online that that, regular viewers are kind of going, yeah, it's kind of lost the plot. Um, I I think there needs to be more love and angst and less of that mob, mob gangster stuff. It should be exciting and explosive and, but, but, you know, from a relationship. Like more than Archie and Veronica, like fully going hammer and tongs. That's what we all want to watch as adults, you know. I mean, that whole Betty, Veronica and and Archie love triangle, that was why I got into it as a youngster. Yeah, That's what I want to see, but I want to see like the R-rated version. Yeah. We're all all team Betty, aren't we? Come on. I like Veronica. Really? Yeah. I find Betty a bit insipid, to be honest. I think there's a bit of a disconnect about, about what the show should, between what the show should be and, and kind of what it's been doing recently. I feel like it has lost its way a bit and maybe they'll get it back on track for season three. Well, if today's teen dramas are too dark and forbidding for you, maybe take a step back into the past and rewatch or rediscover yes, some, please. Of, some of the biggest hits of the, of the past years. The recent return of Annie Jones on Neighbours had me binging on old episodes of Neighbours Online and remembering that show's glory days as a teen super soap with Jason Donovan, Kylie Minogue and Guy Pearce. Those were the glory days. Uh, but no one does teen drama like the Americans, and you can find Gossip Girl on Netflix, The OC and Dawson's Creek on Stan, and Beverly Hills 90210 on DVD and on iTunes. Claire, you've been heading back to Capeside to see how Dawson's Creek holds up. Oh, and doesn't it just hold up? I really? Mean, you, you, the Paula Cole theme, theme song. I, mean, oh, I feel like that should be played in the background while I discuss my love for this. Okay, so here's the thing. I didn't think that it was going to. I, I, I would say it's a good 15 years since I've even really thought about Dawson's. And then when you guys told me it was um, on Stan, I was like, oh, amazing, I'm going to go check it out. And this, I lost a weekend to it. Like <laughs> I started at the pilot and it was an absolute treat to go back and watch it. It actually feels like it hasn't aged particularly well. It hasn't aged, I don't think, as well as Gossip Girl 
has or the OC. Um, it doesn't have that camp quality that 90210 has on a rewatch. It's, uh, it feels a lot sweeter and a lot less cynical than a lot of modern teen dramas. And that's kind of what I really, really loved about it. But what I especially liked was going back and watching it with, um, with a frame of reference from today. So knowing that all of these people, James Vanderbeek, Katie Holmes, particularly Michelle Williams and Joshua Jackson, they've gone on to have these amazing careers. And when you go back and watch, even from the pilot, from the very first instance, they're fantastic. They're, they're actually it's a perfectly cast teen drama. Um, and it's, it's so much fun to watch. What did you guys think? I think the acting is definitely good, and I really like the dialogue. Obviously, Dawson's was renowned for having these hyper-articulate teenagers. Um, I did find it quite dated. I I feel like it's a product of a bygone era, and obviously it was Kevin Williamson's uh, almost love letter to to his um, adolescence, which obviously would have been in the 70s or whatever. And it it feels like it could be taking place in the 70s, except they sound like... Well, I disagree with that because I feel like the... um, I was exactly their age in the late 90s, exactly. Um, And I feel, to me, like it perfectly encapsulated my little 90s childhood that I had in Perth. I mean, Perth's a long way from Wilmington, North Carolina, (laughs) but it is a bit of a dusty backwater in some respects. And I think maybe we're all a little bit naive or maybe I'm just remembering my childhood through kind of rose-coloured glasses. But I actually feel like as soon as I started watching it, I was right back there. Yeah, right. I, I feel like, you know, you mentioned 90210 and the OC. I feel like they were definitely a product of their time, you know, the 90s and, and the early noughties for, for the OC. I just I do feel like Dawson Creek could almost have happened at any time. If it wasn't for the dialogue and I guess the, the pop culture references, you almost wouldn't know that it was the late ni- 90s. Well, th- that's what I took away when I was rewatching it again. But um, th- it's all that's about... That's classic. That's why it's an absolute classic. I guess so, yeah, because it is kind of ageless. Um, for me, it's about the love quadrangle. And in that first oh, pilot, yeah. you see it, Pacey, Joey, although Pacey's off with that teacher, which we'll get to in a minute, Claire. I know you, oh, I know you have okay. thoughts. Can we get to it? But oh, um, Pacey, Joey, Jen, Dawson, that quadrangle is set up really early on. And, you know, it was great watching that evolve over the first few seasons. Oh, right. But let's talk about Pacey and his teacher, Claire. Oh, Oh, my God, I'm actually slapping my feet. Okay. In the pilot, we're introduced to the fact that Pacey, played by Josh Jackson, is have, has a fling with his teacher who's 39, so she's my age. Um, can we just talk about the fact that Pacey is 15 years old? <laughs> On the verge Not of manhood. That, that statutory rape. I mean, why why weren't more people horrified by this plot line? Like, I, I, I kind of feel like, yeah, teacher-student things have been around forever, have been a plot device used in heaps of TV series. But for me, those people are usually 16 plus. Like, 15, that's mm. like kid stuff. You know, that, that's, come on, let's call it what it is. She's a freaking predator. She's a pedo. It, anyway, I had a real problem with that. <laughs> She's hot, but, like, and good on you, Pacey. But, yeah, gross. <laughs> it, it was definitely troubling, but I mean, maybe because he looked—I mean, how old was Josh Jackson at that point? He certainly wasn't fifteen. But um, well, he wasn't like Luke Perry in like forty-three playing a seventeen-year-old. <laughs> I don't think he was that much older. I think he was probably eighteen or something. Yeah, you, you read my mind, Claire. That's where I was going. Nine hundred two one zero with the world's oldest teenagers. How old was yeah. Andrea Z- Zuckerman? Wasn't she like thirty-five? I think she was a yeah, thousand. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I do feel like uh, 90210 has more in common than, than the OC than it does with Dawson's Creek, even though 90210 and Dawson's were both um, very much 90s hits. You know, the story of the OC, of the outsider coming into the affluent world, that, that, yeah. was, that was the story of 90210. Totally. The OC took it a, a little bit of a different way. In theory, it was the A-list couple of... Marissa and bad boy Ryan, who we were meant to be rooting for. He was the bad boy from the wrong side of the tracks. She was, <laughs> she was the rich girl. But we, as we all know, no one cared about them. It was, oh, God, no. It was all about Seth and Summer. And, like, uh, I did care about Marissa, but only what was going on outside of the show. Like, remember? Yes. Remember, who's the chick that played Marissa? She was, like, falling in and out of, like, limos and stuff, drunk. Misha Barton. Misha Barton. God, whatever happened to her? Did she get arrested for something and... Yeah, she That's fell out. Like she it. fell out with her mother, who was her manager, and then there were all sorts of unfortunate incidents. Right, but I did find uh, rewatching the OC that it, um, it was a bit clunky to start with. It took yeah, it took a couple of episodes to find its feet, and I think that's partly because they didn't realise that Seth and Summer were the heart of that show. Summer yeah. was was kind of this throwaway character in the first couple of episodes. It was kind of annoying. And uh, Seth got all the good one-liners, but it was about, you know, building up Ryan and Marissa. But I think once but they... But I never bought Ryan as the outsider bad boy. Like, his hair was too Kendall, <laughs> you know? Like, his hair was too nice. It was and too pretty. Yeah. Which brings us to Gossip Girl being another Josh Schwartz show. Because Josh was kind of, he was like, he was a 26-year-old when he was running the OC. He was the EP and creator of the OC. And I think he, he, you know, he perfected the teen drama thing over the several seasons of the OC. And then when he came to Gossip Girl, he was firing on all cylinders. And I rewatched rewatched, um, the pilot of Gilmore, uh, Gilmore Girls, Gossip Girl. And uh, the first 15 minutes are fantastic. It it's, gets straight in there. I wanted to keep watching. I was sucked right back into that world of the Upper East Side. So I, I think what it, all the lessons he learned from running the OC, he kind of, um, you, by the time he got to Gossip Girl, he, he perfected it. Yeah, I did that weird thing today where I watched the very first episode and the very last episode of Gossip Girl. It's actually a really interesting thing to do. Like I, I knew what happened in the series, but it was really good to kind of watch the finale and see how it all plays out. There's actually clues as to the fact that, and like spoiler alert, that Dan is Gossip Girl right back in the pilot episode. And I actually read something recently that said the creator actually, they all, all along, they wanted it to be Dan. So if you right. go back and watch it through that through that um, kind of frame of reference, it's really interesting because you're like, oh yeah, of course it was Dan. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah there's that scene <laughs> in the first episode where he's got Gossip Girl up on his computer. Yeah, and then he comes out and says to Jenny, "Oh yeah, who who reads Gossip Girl? I don't read it." Yeah, yeah, exactly. What do you think, Matt? Are you a fan? You're being very silent while we go for a little stroll down memory lane. Look, it wasn't something that ever really grabbed me by the throat, that show, Um, but I do enjoy your enthusiasm about it. (laughs) (laughs) You can take the 13-year-old girl out of the – no, you know what I'm trying to say. I do know, I do know. Right, it's TV news time, and one show that has the structure and characteristics of a team drama but features aimless 20-somethings is Search Party and has just been renewed for another season. Claire, you love a bit of Search Party, don't you? Oh, I love it. I really, really love it. Look, this is probably one of those shows that has passed a lot of people by, to be honest. It's on SBS On Demand, which is kind of an odd spot for it. Yeah, but in some ways kind of it it makes it feel even more special when you stumble upon it. So basically the first series, for those that aren't in the know, it's kind of basically like a Nancy Drew book for millennials. Oh, I mean. 
Yeah, you're in. So even the, the artwork for the series, the first series, each episode had a different little kind of type poster, which was based on, and like, you know how Nancy Drew novels used to look, you know, they always had that really interesting kind of 1970s sort of artwork on the front. I remember yeah. them well. Yeah, so anyway, this series is um, about Dory, who is played brilliantly by Alia Shawcut, I think her name is. She plays maybe in Arrested Development. The first series is about her and her group of really quite objectionable friends, millennial friends. Oh, they're awful. Going on, going on the hunt for their missing friend, Chantal. And at the end of the first series, they, and this is a spoiler of it, something happens. Should I say, Gavin? No, 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 don't no, give it away. I can't say because you absolutely have to watch this show. And the second series deals with the fallout from that very shocking thing that happens at the end of the series, which totally changes the whole direction of the series. And the it's just been announced that a third season is underway. Um, it's very hard to talk about if you haven't seen the first two, but I absolutely recommend this series. It is just fantastic. But, and here's the caveat, and it's a pretty big one, and I know, Gavin, you had a problem with this. The, the, the four central characters are awful. They're terrible. Oh, my God. They're terrible. They're so um, really they're unlikable. so unlikable. They're these people drifting through life, don't really have any direction. And I know, hey, that's millennials. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's bag them out because we're all old. <laughs> <laughs> but that was yeah, that was the thing that killed it for me. That and the fact that I I had to read this story on season one before having watched it, and this story pretty much gave everything away. So oh, didn't that happen to you? Same as Wentworth. It's my Wentworth story Wentworth. all over again. So by the time I got to watching season one, I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And I knew the twist. And there is there is quite a big twist. There were a couple of big twists at the end of season one. So, uh, yeah, I would say go into Search Party not knowing anything and you'll probably have a better time of it than me. Yeah, can I just say quickly that you know how the Duplass brothers keep popping up in our discussions? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they were behind Wild Wild Country and Evil Genius on the Mindy Project. Get this, Gavoir. Mm-hmm. Jay Duplass pops up playing, um, I, I didn't even know this, playing Porsche's um, kind of director love nice. interest in Series 2. Yeah, yeah, and I reckon he's going to be a big part of Series 3. But how funny is that? This guy is in every single show we talk about on here. He is haunting our lives. So, Matt, you've never seen this. Honestly, if you watch one show this year, it should be this. I promise you I will watch it. Right. Right, it's time to ask that question again. To binge or not to binge? Gavin, talk us about the series version of the horror classic Scream, which is now on Netflix. Well, as an adult, watching a teen drama can be a bit of a guilty pleasure, and there are a few guiltier pleasures than this spin-off of the horror franchise, although the pleasure is debatable. The film series was packed with horror movie and pop culture references and reinvigorated the entire horror genre. It sent horror movies up, but it was also very scary, so it worked on multiple levels. The spin-off, not so much. The only link to the film series really is the show title. The plot isn't connected, even the white mask is slightly different. Yeah, there's a character who's a film geek and can shoot off references about horror movies, but it really does stand on its own. There's a bit of structural similarity in that teenagers are being killed off in a small town, and there's a link back to the town's history with what's going on now. But uh, because it's a TV series with 10 episodes in Season 1 and 14 episodes in Season 2, it's not as compact a story as any of the films, and things do tend to drag a bit. Not surprisingly, the upcoming third season is going to be six episodes, so maybe they've learnt their lesson on that. And as for the teens, they're either unlikable or stupid or both. So I didn't really (laughs) care who went next. It was more a case of, oh, they could get rid of him and I wouldn't care. I mostly just found (laughs) my... (laughs) 
I mostly just found myself wondering why any of them were allowed to leave the house at all once the killing spree started. Like, where where are the parents and why aren't they locking their children up? <laughs> Having where said are all, the parents? I know. Having said all that, I have watched every single episode and I'll probably watch the upcoming third season. So what I'd say <laughs> is binge and then deny it. Uh, <laughs> and Claire, you've been re-watching Veronica Mars on Stan. I have. I have. I feel like I've been just a little too enthusiastic about everything, which says a lot about my personality, really, and my love for teen drama. But, yeah, Veronica Mars, for those that aren't in the know, with the teen drama that aired between 2004 and 2007, starring Kristen Bell from The Good Place as Veronica Mars, a high school and later college student who moonlights as a private investigator alongside her dad, uh, who's played by Just Shoot Me's Eric Colantoni, who's great. Look, in each episode, Veronica solves a different standalone case while working to solve a more complex mystery. And the first two seasons um, of the series each had a season-long mystery arc. The third season, which wasn't as strong, was still good and looked at kind of smaller mysteries. But then uh, people might remember a few years ago, it was actually a movie. Yes. Um, and the thing that I love about this is that it was, it was crowdfunded. So yes. basically... Um, Veronica Mars was kind of cancelled, in my in my opinion, too early. It's a really, really mm. good show. And uh, both Kirsten, Kristen Bell and the producer, Rob, the showrunner, Rob Thomas, both thought that the story wasn't finished. And so they decided that they might see, put it out there and see if they could crowdfund um, to get this made. And get this, they raised something like... Um, Two million. They reached their two million dollar goal in eleven hours, and by the end of the campaign, which only ran for a couple, like a month or something, they raised five point seven oh two million and Amazing. made the movie. Amazing! I don't know if you've seen the movie. I watched it on the plane. It's really good, and for fans of the of the series, um, you'll absolutely love it. But get this: when I was going a googling after watching um, the show on Stan, I I found a quote from from. Uh, both Rob Thomas and from um, Kristen saying that they would really like to make another series of it and that might happen through Netflix. So, wow. um, yeah, uh, so I think Rob says, uh, if I were a betting man, I'd bet that this would happen. And then Kristen said, well, we're willing to put the effort in. I mean, if you if you have to do it as murder, she wrote at 80, we're going to do it. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> <That'd be awesome. laughs> I would so be there for a, like a murder, she wrote style uh, Veronica Mars reboot, but yeah, great show, love it. And does this all tie in with your Nancy Drew obsession? Yeah, totally. Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. Like this is what I'm saying, which is so great about Search Party, because the, as a kid, I was obsessed with Nancy Drew books, but they never really went far enough for me. Like I wanted, I wanted a bit more romance between the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. Uh, I, like you know, didn't we all? Just and oh, I wanted yes. the crimes to be like way more. It was always like, oh, it was Mrs. Davis in the billiard room with. You know, that stuff was always really boring. So as an adult, you can kind of watch this. And yeah. Search Party in particular has this kind of Nancy Drew overtones. But, you know, there's a little bit of sex and there's, like, good plot points. And yeah. same, with, same with Veronica Mars. The thing I found interesting about Veronica Mars is that first season is actually really quite dark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, there's still a lot of questions that remain unanswered from the movie. Like, and, 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 like, I would really like Veronica to get some counselling at some stage because she's been sexually assaulted. She's seen her best friend murdered. She's been almost murdered by her best friend's killer and her rapist. She's seen the rapist jump to his death. She's been relentlessly bullied. And then she's almost been killed by a high school classmate. Like, poor girl, come on. 
Who magazine's binge list. Right, now not every show gets the attention it deserves and this week's hidden gem is The 100 with season 5 on Fox 8 from May 30th. Now, I'm a big one for quickly making my mind up about TV shows, but The 100 proves that sometimes you need to give a series a chance to settle in. I remember watching the first episode back in 2014 and thinking, nah, it's all a bit cliched and not very well acted, so I didn't continue. Then by the time I caught up with it again in early 2016, it was between seasons two and three, and I interviewed lead actor Eliza Cotter. By then, the show had earned this cult following and was being talked about in awed tones by critics, so it definitely has evolved over the years. So I think it's one of those shows that maybe give it three or four episodes before you pull the plug. What it's about, it was originally a post-apocalyptic teen drama about 100 juvenile delinquents sent back to Earth to see if it's habitable again. They'd been living on this space station called the Ark in the years since the nuclear holocaust had wiped out the rest of the planet, or most of it. The teens discover that there is life still on Earth, and the interaction between the various factions, or clans, has driven a lot of the drama. So season 5 is just about to start on Foxtel, and thanks to a six-year time jump at the end of season 4, we're well out of teen territory. The former juveniles now assume the role of parental figures in some cases. But like all good teen or post-teen dramas, there are a couple of Aussie ex-soap stars in the cast. So there's Eliza, who is from Neighbours, and Bob Morley from Home and Away, and their characters Clark and Bellamy are the central duo on the show, and heaps of fans want to see them end up together. It's the ultimate shipping show, The 100. There's all sorts of pairings that people want to see together, things like that. And, and while that chemistry might have driven the show in its early days, it's now just one factor in a sprawling sci-fi epic. So I would say you probably can't jump into season five on Foxtel. If you want to have any idea of what's going on, go to season one, endure those first difficult kind of boring episodes, get through one to three on Netflix. No doubt season four is headed to Netflix soon and then jump into season five after that. Yeah, so, this show passed me by completely, Gavin. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, it doesn't get a lot of attention. It's definitely under the radar, but the fans are rabid on this one. Are they? And Matt, I think it'd probably be something you would like, not necessarily the first season, but since you're a Lost in Space fan, as we discussed in your absence, this yes. is quite a, a strong, um, <laughs> it's quite a strong <laughs> sci-fi show. Um, so if you haven't checked it out already, I, I'd recommend it. I have seen parts of it, but it suffers from that that uh, same sci-fi problem that is plaguing a lot of shows. That outer space or alien planets or future Earths, all of these all of these places mysteriously look exactly like Canada, <laughs> and it becomes extremely <laughs> yeah. wearing. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not going to pursue this show, but I do think that it might be. A good one for genre fans okay um i think we've answered our question yes you can continue to enjoy teen shows no matter what your age as long as they're <laughs> i good think enough. i'm living proof of that <laughs> i think you are i think you are right well thanks again for joining us guys and we'll see you next week with all the latest on aussie tv including mystery road and the assassination of gianni versace now if you enjoyed today's show remember to subscribe to binge list on itunes or on omni and you can find us all on twitter to continue the conversation tell us what you thought of the show and give us some suggestions on what you want us to talk about yeah because we need more on our list yeah check out our twitter for i am claire and gavin scott 99 and mr matt denby we'd love to hear from you until then happy viewing bye bye ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 